the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download and listen to for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is Lucy Chamberlain from East Donnyland in Fingeringhoe. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from juniper to cucumbers and hibiscus. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Lucy, it's a warm welcome to the programme. We have had more rain this week, some heavy rain too. So, come on, that's got to be helping a bit, isn't it? <laughs> it has. It helps the garden and the plants no end. It might not help the gardeners that have got to go out and work in it. I've been in my waterproofs the last few days, but I can't complain because we've had such a lovely sunny And it's sunny rained spring. overnight, which is really yeah, good as well. Yeah, which is, yeah, really long, proper soaking rain, which is really fantastic. And I know you're going to be mentioning that a little bit later. So what, just, what's, what's your first tip then? Well... I just want to mention the importance of looking around the garden and seeing what pests and diseases might be taking hold because as the weather warms up and things start to grow, um, pests are going to just take advantage of all that. Um, and so you really need to be mindful and just keep walking around your garden, seeing what's attacking what. I have noticed, you know Solomon seal, that beautiful oh, yes. plant yeah. that loves the shade, a really beautiful, delicate plant. It's got one Achilles heel, which is Solomon seal sawfly. Um, so if you do grow... Solomon's seal just check the plants for the moment because I know ours at Donnellan Hall uh, have been covered just this week it's only just started and they with... strip them don't they yeah strip they do they're a very destructive pest what you'll, you'll find at this time of year the adult flies which are about um, the size of your little fingernail just under a centimeter long really jet black flies and they sort of they're very cumbersome they float around quite heavily on the wing they're not like a um, anything very light and flitty they're, they're quite cumbersome things so spot those and they will be laying eggs on the sawfly and then you want to be spraying now and also when the eggs hatch with uh, any good insecticide for ornamental plants. One of these ones that's called bug clear, one of, the, one of those uh, insecticides. And that We will... must have forget gooseberries. What about gooseberry well, sawfly? Yeah, that's another pest. I haven't checked my gooseberries yet, but oh, I imagine... Better get around there as well, I think. <laughs> They're probably covered with it too. Um, but yes, that's a, it's just a very destructive pest with the larvae, which will very quickly take off the leaves of plants. Uh, and so you need to nip it in the bud and, as I say, be mindful of doing that about now. Okay. Now, we talked about the rain, and the rain has... Yes, it's done the plants good. It's all looking really nice. But, of course, the other thing that it's done, of course, is encourage weeds. And I'm absolutely amazed. I drive past Rittle most days. And, in fact, they had cleared a bed thoroughly. And I mean cleared the bed thoroughly. And within the two days, suddenly you can see green on it. And it's not seed. It's not stuff they've sown. It actually is weed. I went and had a look. And so quickly, weed seed will germinate with a bit of, it's got warmth in the soil now, a bit of rain and off it goes. So keep hoeing, hoeing and cultivating the ground to keep those weeds away. And on dry days, obviously, if you, cult if you cultivate and knock the tops off them, they will just die on the surface. So you don't have to use weed killers, which is really good. So just keep on hoeing. You've got to hoe vegetables, plots, you've got to hoe your flower beds, just keep everywhere nice and clean. 10 minutes, quarter of an hour, round the garden with a hoe each day and you can keep your garden looking really good. Yeah, we've been doing that all week. Um, the weeds are coming out of the ground really nice at the moment because it's so moist, but my back 
is slightly aching because of all the hoeing and bending down I've been doing. But it, like you say, it's so work. important to get them, especially before they start setting any seeds. That's really important. Um, talking in again about things that are making the most of all that lush, verdant growth that we're now getting in the garden. When it was dry, we didn't really have much issue with fungal pests um, problems. But now that we've got the humidity raised again... Um, Things like mildew, botrytis, uh, I noticed a bit of peach leaf curl has flared up on our peaches in the wall garden. So look out, out also for any um, fungal problems that might be popping up around the garden because, as I say, when it was so dry, we didn't really have the issues, but now it's really humid. Uh, fungi love those lovely, moist, damp conditions, and they really will um, take a hold if you're not careful. It's too early for things such as potato and tomato blight, um, but we're looking at mildew, um, my lettuces got a little bit of grey mould in the greenhouse as well the other day. And so um, if you can, um, on edible plants, there's not really any fungicides you can use these days. So it's just a case of good hygiene, making sure there's good airflow around mm. the plants, opening windows in greenhouses and things like that and the doors just to get a nice airflow through. Um, but on uh, ornamental plants, you can uh, control with fungicides. I'm going around spraying the roses at Donaldon Hall with uh, a, a rose clear ultra which controls uh, rust and mildew and black spot. So do keep it, uh, up on the, the spraying program as well. Yeah, there's plenty to do there. And talking of which, we said the rain, we said the ground's just right. Well, I reckon I'm going to stick my neck out here, but I reckon the frosts are pretty well gone. Uh, we've got the FA Cup in a little while, haven't we? So my dad always used to reckon around FA Cup time you could plant your bedding out. And I think that as long as the bedding is not too soft and lush, you could start planting your bedding out, particularly things like geraniums will tolerate cool nights. Uh, but come on, let's colour up your garden. And don't be afraid of planting them in blocks of colour. And don't be afraid of planting them close enough together to get a good show. If you put them close together, once they've grown, you have no weeding to do at all because the weeds can't grow where there's plants. So they are. And if you've got lots of flowers on them, Take some of the flowers off because you'll then encourage growth, root growth, which will then encourage the top to grow. And things like antirhinums nip out their tops to make them branch. All these little things help to make a colourful display for this summer. Yeah, I've been planting up our summer containers at Donald Hall and also some bedding out. And we've got a, a bed that's a bit sparse, so we're going to put some petunias in there just to make it sort of fill out and have some colour for the summer. And I've been doing that this week. So I, you, you've been sticking your neck out and so have I as well, Ken. Um, mentioning again the weather, you know, this is such a crucial, um, busy time of year for gardeners because we are now getting the milder nights. And I agree with you, Ken, that I don't think we're going to get really cold spells anymore. The nighttime temperatures are looking like they're going to be nudging into double figures for the next couple of weeks so I've been getting my uh, veg plants out that are tender yep. my tomatoes my um, French beans my sweet corn I've been hardening them off I germinated them in a greenhouse so the growth is quite soft and sappy and vulnerable so I need to basically give them what I call like a, a base tan to get them toughened up so that when they go outside they don't get sunburned they don't get scorched off so and it's a process called hardening off um, and when you get an overcast day, it's absolutely perfect to do that. Take the plants outside in the day, then bring them back indoors at night. Do that for two or three days, and then you can actually leave them out at night uh, from there onwards. And they'll toughen up their um, leaves, develop a nice waxy cuticle, and then you can put them out into the garden in a sunnier spot uh, where they can then crop and grow. Yeah. More gardening tips on the BBC Essex Gardening Podcast. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11.
Let's have a look at some of the gardening events taking place across Essex over the next few weeks. And we start by talking about the 90th anniversary of the first gardens open on behalf of the National Garden Schemes. And in Essex, the following gardens are open. That's Chippins in Bradfield, five gardens in Langley near Saffron Warden, Parsonage House in Hellions Bumpstead, Three Pound Gate in Stebbing, which is a new NGS garden, and four gardens in Waltham Abbey. And that's all taking place on Sunday the 28th of May. So go along and support the National Garden Scheme. Um, let's move on now to the Tiptree Garden Club. Um, that has a talk by Ben Lambert, and he's talking about permaculture. Entry is £2 for members, this is on the 1st of June at 8pm, and £3 for visitors. Raffle, refreshments, all the usual at the Tiptree Garden Club. Nice crowd there as well. Now on Saturday the 3rd of June, between 10.30 and 4, Lucy Chamberlain, of course one of our experts that comes on to uh, the gardening programmes here at BBC Essex, she's head gardener at East Donnellan Hall, Fingering Ho. She's running a Design Your Own Fruit and Vegetable Garden course. And the day begins with the Victorian Ward Kitchen Garden, where you'll gain inspiration on how to incorporate elements such as fan-trained fruit trees, productive greenhouses and vegetable beds into your very own garden. After a delicious homemade, homegrown lunch, we move to Lucy's own fruit and vegetable garden down the road to see how a grand kitchen garden elements can be effortlessly transferred into a smaller plot, which is so important. The one-day course costs £80 per person. For more information, visit www.cottagegardenschool.co.uk and you'll get a chance to meet Lucy as well. Now, going on from that, just a reminder, the 4th of June, 2 till 6, this year the gardeners of Coggleshaw invite you to see their gardens through the artist's eye. Throughout the afternoon, there will be local artists exploring the shapes, colours, textures that make up our gardens through their paintings and drawings. There's also be lots of activities for children, plant stalls for your bargains, vintage cars, model railways, look back in time at a printing press, ice creams, of course. Coggleshaw's legendary cream teas and cakes. Oh, you can't miss those, can you? Tickets cost £5 a person, children under 12 are free. Tickets will be on sale in advance for the Chapel Inn and on the day in the Market Square. So there's some of the events that are taking place. If you have an Essex Gardening event for the BBC Essex Gardening Hour, send them with the details to me, Ken Crowther, with at least three weeks' notice, either by email to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or drop me a line to BBC Essex, P.O. Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2 9XB. Coming up next, myself and Lucy will be answering your gardening questions and we'll start with Alan from Hoddesdon and his sweet potatoes. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from 11. I bought some potato slips, sweet potato slips, and they arrived in this week and there's no instruction with them. Please ah. help me. <laughs> Alan, I can help you. Don't you worry about it. Uh, so sweet potatoes, think of them like an ordinary potato, but try and grow it in the sunniest warmest spot in your garden and if you've got say a polytunnel or a greenhouse that would be ideal otherwise a south or west facing bed lovely sunshine free draining soil but they're only a slip so how do you how do you actually plant it ah i'm oh, sorry it's a, slip. it's a slip it's a slip right so what you need to do there alan is you've got to actually root it the slip is what we call a sweet potato cutting and it's literally the top growth uh, does it look a bit wilted at the minute or is it nice and perky 
not too bad, actually. I've had it in a bucket with some water in for a Good few idea. days. Good idea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing to do is you want to keep it like a cutting. You need to actually pop. Have, I, have you got any signs of roots on the bottom at all at the moment? Or is oh, it? Yeah, there's uh, hundreds of roots coming oh. out. Brilliant. So they're already rooted. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So it's in that case, then what I would do is put it into a big tub of compost um, and allow that root system to build up in size um, and grow it. Have you got a greenhouse or a conservatory? Yeah, I'm, I'm putting them in the greenhouse. Yeah. In the I greenhouse. Do. That's oh, ideal, well, that's perfect. Um, I've grown sweet potatoes before and I found that if I let them get root bound in that container before I planted them into the earth, the tubers that developed were a little bit distorted and congested. So pot them up now into a big pot, but before they get root bound, then put them into your greenhouse soil if you've got room or, as I say, outside in a sunny bed. And another tip with sweet potatoes. Them up like ordinary potatoes, then. No, you don't. You don't. The the one secret with sweet potatoes as well is to make sure that the stems that develop do not let them root into the soil. Just let the main plant root because. If they root into the soil, and little, you'll get lots of little tubers. You want a big few ones. big ones. So well, grow them through plastic mulch. I was going to say another way, if you're growing them outdoors, is actually to um, basically grow them on black polythene and just yes. let, the, let the stem exactly. come through the black polythene yeah. only, and that way it doesn't root. Yeah. Does All that right. make sense? You, so if you grow them outdoors, anybody listening has got them and grows them outdoors, you peg down black polythene, you slit the black polythene, and you put the slip through the slit if that makes sense, and then into a good compost bed underneath, and that will grow away. Yeah. Let us know how you get on, Alan, will you? Yeah, will do. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's good. Good. Uh, good one. That's a nice one to start yeah, with. Fantastic. And going now to Joyce in Colchester. Hello, Joyce. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I want to know if ash from a fire is the same as uh, potash that you buy. Right, what are we talking? Ash from what sort of fire? Coal or wood? Well, I should think it's... Well, it would be mostly wood, paper. It was... Um, my grandson has built this big pit and uh, built a fire down at the garden where we all fire sit pit. around. Yeah, OK, he's got a fire pit and he's he's burning mostly wood. Mostly old fencing and things That's right. like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the same as potash, Potash is um, a fertiliser that you can buy from garden centres and it's very good for crops that flower and fruit. So for tomatoes, for roses, all that kind of thing. Uh Wood ash does have a small amount of potash in it, but it's variable depending on the timber. It's like Uh Ken says, it's not very much. Um, So you can use it around your plants, but don't rely on it solely as the potash It's a good soil improver. Yeah, but also... Only I've got sandy soil, which always needs improving. Lots of organic matter, it does. Yeah, that's that's the secret to sandy soil. Just bear in mind as well that the wood ash is slightly alkaline, so don't put it around... um, Acid-loving plants like raspberries and blueberries oh, and, rhodo- and rhododendrons. No, I don't have any. No. Great. Great. Oh, that's and, fine. And just a reminder, Joyce, for yourself and anybody else listening, if you have a coal fire or any yes. sort of coal fire, never use the ash from that anywhere near the garden at all. Oh, that's interesting. No, because it's it it going to get a fire in indoors and uh, yeah. I don't know what it'll no, be it's got, it's got it's got things like, well it depends on what you're burning but it has anything from arsenic onwards, it's got all sorts of things, chemicals in it which you don't want to get. Oh I see, 
so into the soil. My old, da- my old dad used to make paths out of his ash out of the boiler. We had a path <laughs> up the side of the vegetable plot, <laughs> all made of ash. But the celandines used to grow really well in it. So, you know, there's a bit of a flashback in time from my memories of growing, uh, growing vegetables with my old dad, you see. Oh. And don't forget, that number to call is 0300. 200 4041 0300 200 4041. Uh, let's go to Sue in Battlesbridge. Hello, Sue. What's up with your Hello. wisteria? My wisteria, it was flowering beautifully about three or four weeks ago. Um, uh, it, it has actually still got just about one flower that's dying off on it, but the whole of the rest of it, all the flowers have gone a, a browny black colour. And uh, it has no leaves. When did... Right. Firstly, when did... Oh, it hasn't got any leaves. hasn't got any leaves. That's not good. Yeah, because wisterias no. haven't... La- the flower display of wisterias hasn't lasted very long this year because of the wet and the rain. And they it's knocked that, them off. They also had that frost, which yeah. was three weeks ago, exactly. which knocked a lot of them back. But that would only really affect the flowers. Wouldn't affect the leaves, so would the, it, at all? The leaves, There's something wrong. Have you got any leaves on your plant <clears> at all? None. No. Not good. No, it's not. No. Wisterias are very prone to, um, well, it might not be this, but they are prone to honey fungus, which is a fungal disease that attacks and destroys the, the root system, which can then cause large plants to completely collapse. And that might be what has happened to your wisteria there. Can you think of anything else that they have been given it a big shock? Oh, I... Well, when you said about the frost, uh, I was thinking um, I'm out in the countryside, so it is quite windy where I am. So, Wouldn't lose the leaves. I mean, still um, sh- no, you should still have leaf. You yeah, should have leaf. Yeah, and no. that- well, that's what shocked me so much. Right. I thought, oh, How- the frost had got to it. Then However, it just leave the flowers. This year, many people have had a similar thing to you. I, I mean, um, you know, lots of callers. I would say we've had three or four callers, which is quite a lot, yeah. on that specific subject. And a couple of them have rung back and said that they're actually sprouting from the base. And then, of course, we're saying, is it the root stock or is it above the root? Um, what would you... I, I would scrape the bark to see if it's green. Yeah. And if it is, leave well alone and see what happens. There's nothing else you can do. No, it may have been something that's been... Um, like you say, it may have been a real frost that knocked it back, but that wouldn't have killed it completely it might have knocked the top growth back but the roots will still be alive and in that case it can still re-sprout so I'd wait for a month, hold, t- hold fire for the minute sue don't do anything just yet but if you've given it a month and it doesn't sprout then i think it's a case of oh, it might be something like honey fungus well, and if, if if you start digging it out at that point and it smells very mushroomy around the base and you see lots of sort of white growth underneath the the bark at the base of the wisteria that's a good sign that it was honey fungus and you want to change the soil if you do want to put another wisteria there because it resides in the soil and you need to get soil from say a veggie garden or from somewhere else that's completely clean and swap it to put a new wisteria in its place okay sue right okay that's lovely thank you very much for your help sit tight and wait is always the way (laughs) sit tight and wait valerie valerie is in clankton hello valerie hello good morning you've got a lovely day today in clankton haven't you Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, God, what, what are we talking about today? Uh, what, temperature-wise? No, 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 what are we talking about with yourself, gardening-wise, <laughs> sorry. Um, I've got a rosemary plant. Yeah. It's in a pot, um, a large sort of ceramic pot, not that mm-hmm. nice, about 12 inches across, and it's trebled in size since we put it in. So what I want to know is, can it go in the garden... Or do I, can I put it in a bigger pot 
that and if it goes in the garden does it need sunshine or does it can it go in the right. shade well i'm going to answer the first bit for you you can go in either the garden or a larger pot whatever you choose is the answer to that one um however and what about the position i mean I, they're mediterranean say, aren't they yeah so. they need the sun ideally so if you've got a nice sunny spot it will thrive there it will grow in shade but it won't really do it any good so uh for the health of the plant put it in the sunniest spot as you possibly can yes so, yes and it's got flowers on it at the moment shall yeah I beautiful leave it as it is or shall i can i do it now you can do it if now. it's in a container you can move it as yeah. long as you water it well it's not a problem yeah right that's the, great don't disturb the roots too much though will you Try not to. <laughs> Try not to. That's why I like Careful to hear. Careful as you go. <laughs> I'm just going to go to John in Brentwood. Good morning, all. I think Hello. you make, want to make the most of the sun over there because right on the edge of Brentwood are thick black rain clouds. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Sorry right. What do you got? What do you got? Hibiscus, yes. What would you like right. to know? I've got about a three-year-old five-foot-high one mm-hmm. that was grown from a seed. Yep. Uh, is that movable or is it too late now at this it's sort of five foot high. So, oh, it's lovely that you grew it from a seed. Um, did it sow itself into the garden or yes. did you... It did. Ah, oh, so that will mean it's probably got a bit of a taproot developed on it. So if you do want to move it, do it sooner rather than later. Don't leave it any longer than now or leave no. it till the autumn. Do you want to do is cut underneath and break the taproot yeah, yeah, and exactly. then do it in the autumn? That's a good idea. How about that? Uh, oh, in the autumn, not now. Yeah, but if you've... Drive your spade down under it, about 45 degrees, in a couple yeah. of about three positions round it. You'll yeah. break some of the roots, and then when you move it in the autumn, the roots will have redeveloped. Yeah, so so put the spade round it now, and yeah. then move it in the autumn. Right. Okay. Right, you know pruning them? Yes. I'm a bit mystified, because according to my book, it says you should prune them back uh, up to a third, like established plants we're talking about, another one. Hmm. And uh, But they're in full leaf now. Surely this is... Won't they bleed on the ends that you cut? They don't bleed, um, but you might be cutting off lots of flower buds. So Do it after flowering? Yeah. Just to stop them, because they can get a bit top-heavy. And, oh, um, it's not too late, because the flowers do stay a long time. After flowering? After flowering. Right, then. Thank you. All right. Okay, best of luck, and don't forget, you can always come back and ask more advice in the autumn about moving it. And Bob from Brantham, you're wanting to talk about um, cucumbers, is that right? Grafted cucumbers and tomatoes. Right. Hello, Ken and Lucy. Hello. What would you like to know? Well, I tried um, grafted cucumbers last year, which was a disaster. Were they? Yeah, well, that, that was down to the packaging, I think, because the leaves were really badly damaged. And out of three plants, I got one cucumber and two you sh- courgettes. You should have gone to a garden oh, centre of all them. No, I, I phoned up the company and told them, and, mm. and they replaced them this year. Right. Um, so I've now got three grafted cucumbers, three grafted tomatoes. Um, my question is, normally on a, on a tomato, you, I normally plant it right down the first lot of leaves. But then you'd be covering up the graft. Now, do I? How deep do I plant them? Yeah, you you want to make it so that the graft is in the soil and the a bit above the what we call the scion in, in the, the botanical world uh, is is above the ground because you want the whole point with grafted plants is that the the bottom part is really strong and vigorous, disease resistant. It will make your plant grow 
you know, hugely more strongly than if it wasn't grafted. So you want the grafted roots to be the root system of your tomato. Yeah, you do not want, that. you don't want the top bit to be rooting in as well. But, and yet roses, you do the opposite, and you? you drop them down, don't you? So the graft is below the ground. Yeah, and then with roses, if you get suckers, you're told to pull, take them off. Mm. Yeah, so so <laughs> it, that's yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah different things for different plants. It's, yeah. it's it confuses honestly. people, doesn't it? Because mm. it is exactly the same setup. But we're always instructed if the if your rose suckers, which would be the you, um, pull. you pull those parts off, which mm. would be yeah mm. yeah. So, so so with this tomato, you want the grafted part to develop a really strong root system. Okay, and the, and the cucumbers. And the cucumbers yeah, the same, as well. Same for both. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, that's talking talking cucumbers and tomatoes. But we're talking to Barry in Dunmo. Hi, Barry. Talking about jazz. Now, Hi which which, which jasmine are we talking about? Do you think the, the tracheospernum jasminoid? Right. Beautiful one. Yes. Um, yes. Like a you know a climber. Yes. And it's on. It's uh, I've got two of them. They're on a north facing a balcony just off of our bedroom, north facing, mm-hmm. but um, completely exposed on the west because it overlooks fields, etc. We planted them about two and a half years ago, and they were nice and green and lush. We had a few flowers first season. Um, over the first winter, it really struggled, but just about hung on. And we had a few more flowers the next um, season. But um, over the last winter, they've gone completely brown. They look completely dead. And I'm just mm. wondering, should I just be digging them up, or is there some hope that I can restore them in some way? Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? The trachylosperm are... Um, they're, they're not 100% they're not. No, I was going to say they're a little bit tender. Mm. And it may be that winter waterlogging or a, a, a harsh frost or a combination of the two has caused it to rot away and die off. Um, yeah, all you can do is scrape the bark, isn't it? Yeah, so it's very similar to the wisteria call we had earlier on. When plants get knocked back in the spring... This, the thing to do is to wait and see if they have the ability to recover because they may have just had the top growth knocked back by frost, the roots are still alive and it can re-sprout. So hold fire for the moment, but if in a month's time it's still looking decrepit, uh, then it's a case I of swapping it gone. for a newbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, I'll give that a try, see what happens, but there's nothing doing at the moment, let's put it that oh. way. No, and you can't do anything. You see, you can't, you can't feed, you can't water, because unless they've got leaves, they can't, grow, they can't do anything. No. So you've got to just sit tight. Scrape the bark and see if it's green underneath. That will give you an indication. And you might be able to reduce some of the growth back to where you get to live growth. Right, OK. Could I be cheeky and just ask a very quick second question? Of course you can, yeah. Um, I've got a fairly large pond, um, which is not, uh, it's a natural pond. It's got a lot of fish in it. Um, but it's got a lot of water lilies, which are getting a bit um, invasive. Yeah. Um, how can how can I sort of cull the water lilies without um, affecting the fish? Oh well, you can, you can do that no no problem as long as there's some shade for the fish in your pond. Um, we say it's about if you if you've got about a third of the surface of the pond covered with vegetation, that's great for aquatic for fish, life. Yeah. Um, so and you can divide the li- the lilies straight after flowering. They used to do that where I worked at Wisley. They'd go in there with their waders into the big canal opposite the main laboratory and go in there and divide them all up. Um, and when you repot your lily, um, are you going to just sort of nestle it into the silt at the bottom of the pond or what were you thinking of doing? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're in the silt in the pond. The pond's yeah. quite deep. It's, um, you know, a bit tricky sort of wading in, to be honest with you. So, but um, they're getting, you know... There's, there's just too invasive. More than, more than a third, yeah. Just, yeah. I would just, say it's getting, getting 
getting to three quarters, I would say. No, it's too much. So, yeah, so yeah. You want to get some waders and, and at least go to the edge of the margins of the pond that you can get to. If you can't get to the middle, don't worry. But literally, just go in there, slash and burn. Uh, don't worry about being too uh, delicate with the water lily. It will. They are vigorous plants that will come back. Leave the middle section. Get the bits in the shallows that you can. Remove those. Um, and just as, as I say, it won't. It won't harm the fish at all. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Anne Reeve sent us an email and we have a picture there of a plant that she said has appeared in her garden. What is it? I think it's a sweet chestnut. And I think that because I had my whole childhood surrounded by sweet chestnut woodland. And it looks very much like that to me. And I think that um, a a chestnut has just been maybe planted by a squirrel, hoarded away, and it's germinated. And that's what you've got. That's what you get. Uh, We're going back to Beryl from Westcliff. Oh, hello there. Um, I don't know if you can help me. I have this juniper tree. It's getting on. It's quite old, I suppose, 30 years. Um, It has some swellings on the branches. I've noticed these before, but that's been okay. But after this um, wet and damp weather and the humidity, I've had big um, pustules, sort of uh, apricotty pustules, and they're about um, about twelve, you know, uh, groups of them, about twelve inches all round the stems, all round the branches. So all right. A fungus. Is, it, is this I've never an up, seen it before? Is this an upright? I take it this is an upright juniper tree. Yes. Well, it's it's a sort of. Right, but it's a tree, it's, but it, it does spread um, prostrate as well. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Yep. Not one of the narrow type, it's a spready one. And okay. it's definitely not the flowers releasing pollen or anything like that. It's not, it's... It's, it's on the stem, you say? It's on the stems. It's and on the... the, the can the I just... Bark. Hang on. Yes, yeah, so it's on the bark of on the, the bark. woody stem. So yeah. It's yeah. a yeah. fungi, isn't it? It sounds some... like it might be something called uh, coral spots, yeah. which is a fungus that you no, can get... No, it's too big for that. How, oh, okay. How big across did you say? 12 inches? Well, the, the the section of the of the um would cover twelve inches, and it goes right. all the way round. How big? Yeah. How big are the little spots of? Well, they must be about at least half an inch across or more. No, it's not coral. No, is it's it? not coral. No. What is it then? Because that's that's less well, than a centimetre. Yes, yeah, I've never seen anything like this before. It's, it's going to be some colour. Yeah, it will be some kind of fungal. Um, I mean, like pathogen attacking, yeah, attacking your uh, your juniper, and yeah. that's on the main trunk, is it? No, it's on the branches. On the branches, mm. are there bits that you can prune off, or would it leave the tree no, looking they're... really unsightly? In the centre, yeah, where the branches start to come out. Oh gosh, I don't think there's anything that can be done, is there? When you get a um, an attack on a tree like that, and it's a fungus, spraying with a fungicide isn't going to have any effect because no. you find that the fungal threads are all within the tissues, the wood of the of the juniper, uh, slowly feeding off that and and weakening it, weakening it and destroying things. So, I think all you can do is feed the juniper really well to encourage it to be vigorous in all other regards and just keep an eye on it. I think it's probably something that eventually is going to kill the tree off, I'm sad sad to say. I won't have to cut it down immediately then. No, no, don't do that. I might have to. Yeah, I think keep an eye on it and also, you know, check for safety and stability. If you think it's going to topple over, then um, do you get someone in to take it down before that actually happens? But sadly, when you get like bracket fungi and and those sorts of things on trees, there's nothing much that can really be done apart from feeding feeding it. I've made the bark quite rough in that area. Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, it, it covers... In, in the places they are, as I say, it covers about a foot. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, um, Even when I mean, we... I've, I've seen it. Bef- I've seen the, the the swellings before, but I've yes. never had the fungi. Grow Actually, on this it. bit, the fruiting part. Maybe the swellings have always been the fungus bubbling away, and maybe. now with the with the rain after that dry spell, it's encouraged it to fruit, and that's that what you're amazed, getting. Because there was about four or five sections and. Oh. It was quite pretty, actually. Yeah, well, there's, you can enjoy that maybe, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I like your glass half full attitude. That's very good. <laughs> Best of luck with that. And uh, I'm getting told off on an email from Maureen. She said, I know an hour isn't long enough for your lovely programme, but unfortunately <laughs> you read my text too quickly and oh. didn't answer my question. I followed your advice for sooty mould back in February, March. The question was, do I spray again after flowering with bug clear? Some flowers opened on it sunflowers are opened on it well the answer is yes you would because what i said is sooty mold is secondary therefore it's got aphid but after flowering you could spray again couldn't yeah. you and what aphid? was the plant sorry camellia camellia, sorry. camellia sorry. which which is very prone to it isn't it yes Indeed. yeah it is so there are maureen did i explain that a bit a bit slower than normal did i explain that a bit slower than normal because that would that would hopefully have answered <laughs> your question. And uh, I, I do try and get it right, you know. On my lawn is a circle with some fungi coming up. I tried weed and feed about six weeks ago, but it's still growing. How do I get rid of the fungus? Small mm. yellow beige colour and get my lawn back, please. Linda, oh, you Linda. can't, Linda. You go, you, if, the only thing it. you can do is dig it out. Dig it out. But people don't. No, I know. It's, I a, know. Fairy, it's a fairy <laughs> ring. I'll tell you what, if you... If you leave it long enough and you live there long enough, it'll go next door. And on the longest day, go in the middle of the fairy ring and make a wish. <laughs> Is that what you have to do? I think there's something like that. And wash your face in the, in the dew the first thing in the morning and uh, all Is your that... dreams will come true. Oh, well, they are. <laughs> but I'm sorry, we have got no chemicals that you can use on fairy no, rings. It is just the spade. Dig it out. Yeah. Talk to Keith from Hawkwell. Hi, Keith. Hello there, Ken. Um, yes, my sister-in-law has got an apple tree um, it's a fairly large apple tree and it's got woolly aphid. Um, I think it's a bit too big to spray. What do you do? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wash it off. Wash it off with, actually, a lot of people wash them off with a spray jet of water. Yeah. You know, using yeah. a hose with a very high-powered jet. Oh, I see, yeah. That does work. I mean, it's not going to get rid of it all, is no, it? No, and you, no. you can also, any, any shoots that aren't uh, crucial to the plant, so say not the main trunk or main branches, the little kind of like cankerous growths that develop where the woolly aphids are, cut those off just to reduce the population. That's something that can be done as well. You used to be able to dab them with meths, but... But we're that not, was back I was in the, the, say, the people, days when you could smoke yeah, and no, nobody just say, dies pe- for it. People, people, we're not allowed to tell you to use methylated spirit with a cotton no, bud. No, I didn't. Oh, but there's a, not, there no. is a rumour there is a rumour that it actually used to get rid of them. It didn't did. It? it did. <laughs> but we couldn't tell you that because no, we're not no, allowed but to. But secateurs are the, are the order of the day for you. You need to cut the, like I could say, cut bits off that are oh, not crucial to the, the shape of the plant. All right. If you cover it with meths and st- strike a light. <laughs> that would definitely if it's got really it, bad it? yeah <laughs> that's one way to do it yeah <laughs> get rid of the tree okay. thank, <laughs> thank you very much thanks thank for your you. call keith and we've got um somebody who said they'd heard truthfully we did say it on the program that oleander is poisonous uh, the sap can actually burn you if you have a sensitive skin and you shouldn't use the wood for barbecues because oh, I didn't know that. Dead wood, because it's it's poisonous, and yeah. you get poison onto your, sap, onto your meat. Oh, uh, so it is poisonous, but he's got one outside his window. Should I 
anything I should know about it and really know. No. Uh, it's not a problem from that point of view at all, exactly. is it? Exactly. Uh, do you know what? There's a lots of plants oh, in our garden that have poisonous qualities to them. There's in daffodil, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. You know, Willow trees. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> All sorts of things. And we managed to survive and yes. soldier on regardless. So the answer so. is no. Just avoid when you cut them, avoid the sap. Yeah. And other than that, you know, don't don't let your young grandchildren or children chew them. Exactly. But don't you wouldn't. Eat, yeah, but you exactly. Wouldn't, like you? euphorbia. Yeah. They probably Euph- taste horrible anyhow. I wouldn't know. We're not going to recommend trying. Don't try no, this no, at no. home. <laughs> <laughs> Could be the wild sir. And let's go back to the phones. That number, as always, is 0300 200 4041. Talking to George in Canby Island. Hi, George. Hi, Ken. Um, your young lady there. Um, Hello, I've George. Got an apple t- I've got an apple tree in a pat- on a patio in a not very large pot. Uh, I've had lots of blossom, but the, cle- the leaves are going curling up and going brown. Oh, OK. So they're going brown I'm at the edges? Up. Yeah, they're curling up and, <coughs> excuse me, going, going brown like, underneath. Yeah. And, uh, but I've got the uh, the actual apple is forming. I'm not you know, so worried about that. And I've had shade around the pot and the top of the pot, like to stop the weeds and everything else. Yes, yeah. So should I take that off and... Um. Is, is when you say you've had shade, it could be maybe too much water or drying winds or um, you can get uh, aphids on fruits and red spider that cause the, the leaves to curl and brown. So there's a few things that it could be. You say this is the first year you've had the tree, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excuse me, yeah. And was it a bare roots plant that you potted up or was it one that you bought in a pot? No, it was one I bought in a pot. And then have you uh, have I put you then it in a larger pot and yeah. everything else? But I've had loads of blossom. Yeah, it's it's beautiful tree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder uh, if it maybe I'm got a bit too wet. Yeah. Um. I I would. Think, too wet or too dry? Yes. Yeah. That would be my first thoughts, especially when you have a young tree and you put it into a larger container. Its roots hasn't haven't yet sort of filled that container out, and it can be quite prone to waterlogging and overwatering. So lift the pot up and see how heavy it feels. If it feels like a dead weight. It's most uh, likely been, is, uh, yeah, most likely. It's very large and one can't lift it by itself. <laughs> right, right. Have have a little poke around with the compost in the with a hand fork and just see if it looks moist and and you know it's a bit. You can it's tell if it's a bit soggy, soggy. You don't want it soggy, soggy and claggy. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fine. Thank you very much. And let's well jo- anyway. And George, let us know how it gets on as well. Yeah. We want to hear good yeah, news. Certainly. Good news, we want to hear from you. And Norman wants to talk about olive trees. Is that right, Norman? That is, yeah. We were given two olive trees from a friend, and um, I put them in my garden. In a, um, I know they don't like wet or anything, but I put a load of bricks and, you know, stones before I put them in. And, um, and I put them in, and they had leaves on, but now all the leaves are gone. But the bark is, when I scrape the bark, it's green, but the top half is brown. I don't know whether it's dying or what. Yeah, it doesn't sound too happy. Um, what no do you think? No leaves on it at all. No. And the, uh, you, get a, st- you get a bit of leaf drop, but you should still have new leaf being formed at the same yeah. time. So you shouldn't lose it. Right. I think it's one of those scenarios, again, where I would leave it for the moment, because as you say, it's still green underneath the bark, so there's still yeah. signs of life. Um, and as you say, you know, they need a sunny spot, they need really free-draining soil, so you're providing it with all the right conditions. They aren't the hardiest of things, and it may be that the older growth was maybe a bit soft and it's just got knocked back by some Zapped cold. by the frost, yeah. Possibly. Um, all you can do, really, is 
keep an eye on it. Put it somewhere sheltered and sunny. Don't oh, water it too much. Straight in the ground. I put it straight in the ground. Is it was it the wrong thing to do? I would. I've got one at home, and I grow mine in the pot. They really like really free drainage. Um, actually, having the pot sort of baked in sunshine is 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 how you how they you're emulating what they would have on the mountainside, which is yeah. where they would be growing. So I would pop it in the container. Oh, okay. A then. really really light sandy soil as well. All right. Yeah. Okay. Then thanks very much. Okay. That's a pleasure. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Bye. Talking of olive trees, we had a, a note from, who did we have it from? Chris, who says, I was given a small olive tree in a six-inch pot for Mother's Day. Um, this is from Chris, as I said, Mother's Day. Oh, five years ago, five years ago. Planted in a bed just outside the back door, not expecting to come so much, now seven foot tall. <laughs> That's done well in that wow. time. And growing well. It's um, six foot from the house. Will the roots damage the house if I leave it there? And if so, would you be able to move it? I wouldn't have thought that would cause any problems at all. No, no. I mean, people get worried about roots and houses. You need to bear two things in mind. Are you on a clay soil? Because mm. that's important. Clay soils are the only ones that really are troublesome. So just bear that in mind. How old is your house? If it's pre-1960s, um, then it may have problems because the foundations of those older buildings are quite shallow. More modern buildings have got deeper foundations, so they can tolerate trees being much closer to them. But as you say, Ken, something of that dimension, no. Wouldn't it's worry not going to cause a problem. All. Don't worry, Chris. Keep Keep calm. Keep calm. Let's talk to Grace. Hello, Grace. Good morning. Fox gloves. Um, I've fox got, gloves. Um, fox gloves. They've self-seeded like last year for this year. They Will do. They flower this year. I've got to wait till next yeah. year. Yeah. If should they do. if they were seedlings last year, they should be pretty much flowering by now. The ones that we've got at East Dunnelland Hall. And natives and white fox gloves yeah. are flowering their socks off at the minute. So no, if you... they, these were um, from a flower last year. Right. So this year, then, they're going to be a little rosette of leaves. That's right. Yeah. 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 So next year, they will flower. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Talk Helen in Hooken. Hello, Helen. Hello. Um, I bought two mimosas last year, one for my daughter and one for me. Well, mine has gone absolutely mad, but <laughs> it has flowered. So, But Beautiful. I want to know, I want to make it into more of a bush, and I want to know where will I cut it when it's finished right. flowering. Can you describe the leaf to you? Is it the fern-type leaf, a cut? Yeah, kind of fern, yes. Is that, is several, that several plants, Yeah, you see, several yeah. plants end up being called mimosa, which is a slight problem for us because we don't always know which one. Yeah. But you have... Uh, as we say, we've got that one, haven't Acacia we now? Acacia dilbata is the Latin name, just so yep. we know exactly what... And the flowers were yellow, were they? Yes, they're little yes. balls, like little balls. Gorgeous. Yes. One yeah. of my favourites. <laughs> they really are lovely. They're not 100% yeah. hardy, though, are they? No, and I don't know about if if you could get it to be more bushy. I think they're quite tall, lanky trees. What's what, do you, like what do you at, think, Ken? What's it like at the moment? Tell us what it's done. Well, uh, um, from last year, I keep it in the lean-to, in the big pot that, that I bought at the same time, about 12 inches. And um, it has grown all over. I didn't cut it back at all. I just left it grow. So yeah. I think I should have cut the main stem. So could I do it now, cut the main stem down, when it's finished flowering? Well, after flowering is the time to prune it, You wouldn't definitely. cut the whole stem but, down, though, would you? Yeah. Have, you ever, have you ever tried to cut them back really hard? No. Because I haven't. Oh, I... the only thing I have done, yes, is when one died in a yeah. garden in Loughton, which was about... 
20 foot high, oh, just yeah. died, and I cut that down to ground level and it sprouted again from oh. the base. But I think that... I, so they have got it, the it ability has, to suck up. Yes, That's but it has a risk. Yeah. There is a risk, Helen. Oh, is there? There is a risk. You've got to say that there's always a risk. If you cut something down, you've got to, you're relying on that plant having enough oomph in it to push out some new growth. Yeah. And that can be oh. quite tricky sometimes. So should I do the main stem that's come up? I'm saying there is a risk. So I, oh. if I said yes and you, it died, you just You'd bear be in mind phone, that risk. <laughs> <laughs> An unhappy customer. But I, I think if it's going to be too large for you to accommodate where you're growing it, I'd risk cutting then it. it's you've got to cut it because otherwise what else can you do? It's gonna it's gonna outgrow its space and you need to then yeah. do something yeah. with it. So and I, I have cut back um there's a catalpa and a uh Catalpas do well doing that. Yeah, don't eucalyptus they? I've done at home yeah. as well, cut them back really hard very leggy plants and these plants have responded very well but it took them a long time it took them about a month to bud up and show any signs of growth so uh, if you do do it don't lose hope within the first couple of weeks it uh, takes time and don't overwater it don't no. think oh. oh it needs loads of water because i've got to make it grow because you'll drown it you'll kill the roots yeah exactly oh. thank All you right. very much good luck helen let us know yes, how you get on you. can you let us know <laughs> how you get on because we want to hear it um we have a well, actually, it's just, I must say, it's a lovely picture. Dave from Brentwood sent us some super pictures. One of a wisteria, 17 years old. It's a standard, and it's got a massive head, hasn't it? And it's yeah, got a lovely looks head. Lovely. It looks lovely, but he says he's sorry he can't send a picture of his universal pansies because they're good as well. Oh. But I don't know why you can't send me a picture <laughs> of the universal pansies. I have got no idea at all. But... Well, we will see. Can I prune a 20-plus-year-old Philadelphus down to ground level? It's 2.5 metres high and bare to 1.2. David in Chelmsford. Well, you can. I'd risk it. I think so. As long as the plant is healthy, a lot of these shrubs are what we call like they naturally sucker from the base, and Philadelphus is one of those. So, yeah. Give it a go. Or do you want to wait for the flowers first and then do it? Yes, after, the flower, always yeah, after flowering. The flowers are so lovely, yeah. got such a sense, so after flowering. Now we've got a question here that's come through on a text, that's 81333, start your message with the word Essex. Uh, can, I, can I cut back laurel now and is it okay to plant a yew bush and a pyracantha? Now the yew bush, as long as they're grown in a container, you could plant them. Yeah. I've, I've jumped to the middle of the question rather right. than the end. Um, <laughs> Could you say my puzzled buy, face? <laughs> you wouldn't buy, I wouldn't buy root-balled yew trees at no, this time of year. No, too late, isn't it? It would be too late and they, it would be wasting your money. But anything you're buying in containers could be planted now, couldn't it? Can. It can. I think we're getting to the point where if you, you want to be planting stuff in pots now, but don't leave it until the middle of summer because they always struggle to get a good root system before the drought hits. So, But now, when the soil moisture is so perfect... Gosh, yeah, absolutely ideal planting conditions. So what about the pyracantha? Uh, no, so we, and pyracantha's the same. Yes. Yeah, we can plant yep, those can now. Plant that. Yep. And then the only other one it asks about is laurel. Now, in theory, you can plant any... Um, any no, you can Are trim any... Prune you prune any evergreens actually in May, don't you? Yeah. That, that's general rule, but isn't just, it? Um, is it a hedge plant or is it a... It doesn't it, say, it just says... I would, if it know. was a hedge, a laurel hedge, just bear in mind... Um, Birds are nesting big time yep. at the moment. So prune if you're, with secateurs, yeah, prune with secateurs, and also 
check out, you know, if you need to prune, you know, do it reluctantly. But I would wait, if you can, until the nesting season is over. Wait till at least July, August time, if you could. If you can't, check along the whole length of the plant because yep. they're very dense and bushy and there could easily be bird's nests in there. Um, and, you know, just be cautious in that sense. But when it comes to pruning time, laurels can be pruned back very hard. Yeah, and really, actually, any time of the year, although we recommend evergreens in May. Yes. Let's go back to the phones. Let's talk to Eileen from Langdon Hills. Hello, Eileen. Oh, hello, love. I'm an old-fashioned girl with an old-fashioned aspidester. Right. And it's going brown on the tips, and, and it's sentimental to me, and, and I don't really want to lose it. What am I doing wrong with it? It's more shoots coming up, so do I cut all, all the ones that have got the brown tips on them yeah is it um aspidistras love the shade so um is that where you've got it growing because i'm a little bit on the death side yeah they they like the shade aspidistras i've got it i've got it in the shade and i've got it on an aspidist stand as well oh Oh, very brilliant lovely and how how old is the plant but i i'm i wonder whether i've been over watering it well, it could have could, been that. Could be that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's going brown. I would be tempted to, as you say, cut the brown parts off. If you've got new growth coming through... And I cut the brown pieces off on, on, on the leaves, but it's well the look of it, won't it? Yes, no, it won't. If you just shape them. I always used to shape them. When I was training, we used to do it in the Royal Festival Hall. You get a pair of scissors and you just round it off and shape it, make round it look... The, round the leaves off that are going brown yep, on the tip. Yep, and reduce your watering a bit. And I think you'll be How fine. How often shall I water it now, Ben? Let, Am I over-watering it? I think it is. sounds like it. Put your finger in it. If it's moist, water it. If you put your finger in it... Uh, no, if it's moist, don't water it. If it's dry, water it. Don't water it on a regular basis. All right? Don't water it on a regular basis. I think I've been over-watering it. So do I. I think you've overdone it. So be careful with that, Eileen, and look after it, because it's a lovely plant. And we go to Sue from Wood and Mortimer. Hello, Sue. Good morning. Um, a bit of an unusual question, perhaps, but um, I'm a big fan of chrysanthemums, and I heard a caller earlier speaking about tracheospermans, and I've got osteospermans and ardiranthemums. I'm wondering what the connection with this mum on the end <laughs> is for each of those plants, whether it's to do with the genus or the shape of the leaf or what. Do you know? I don't. Neither of us know. We're no. looking at each other. Oh, no, there don't are know. certain Latin Latin phrases that are really obvious, like Alba is white yeah. and um, Reapings no, is the, creeping. But I don't the know plant name what the, starts a, a at the mum, beginning, doesn't it? it starts it, at the beginning. Thought, yeah. I, I couldn't get the connection between having the the mum on the end. Well, I tell you I, what. I thought you'd know. <laughs> oh. So did we, but we don't. <laughs> so we'll have to think about that one and work on it and see if we can come up with an answer for you for the future. How about that? That will be lovely. That will make, make, make you keep listening as well, <laughs> won't it, sir? Yeah. Yeah. Or if someone knows the answer, they've got ten yeah. minutes, uh, nine minutes to phone in with the answer. Yeah, if you can find out the answer, I'll bet you're all on Google already. <laughs> it might be in the RHS or the Hillier Book of Trees and Shrubs. Yeah, it might uh, be. Because it has an index in the front there, hasn't it? I'm just trying to think when... of the flower shape, you know. No, it doesn't fit, does it? Because tracheospermums are not the same as osteospermum no, flowers. No, nothing at all. No. Ooh. Now talk to Barbara. She's. Uh, we can still get your calls in, 0300 200 40 Um Gary Lipton. Is it Barbara we're talking about? Yes, we are, yes. Good morning. Hi, there. Um, Hi. I've had this moved along the garden about two foot, 
and all of a sudden, all the top is all wilted. It's okay. wilted all over. How old's your garrier? How old is it? Three years. Three years, and you've had it moved when? Um, last Friday. Last oh, yes, Friday. Okay. Very dry. Yeah. Did you water it before you moved it? Yes, yes, it's gone in wet. The gardener moved it, so it's not as though it's my experience that's done it. Just and, a um, shock. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you've, got oh, to get oh. the, you've got to get the, as much of a root ball up as possible with evergreens when you move them, um, mm. and they will wilt. And what you can do is put some... We've, we've just transplanted some plants at Donnerland, and what we've done is put some fleece... Uh, around the plants to keep the sun and the wind away. Over the leaf. Yes. Over yeah. the leaf, yeah. That's right. Sort of erected a tent or around neck, the plant. Neck curtains, anything, anything like, like that. that. Anything yeah. like that, just to shade the plant and keep the wind away because evergreens are very prone to drying out through the leaves um, when it's a hot, windy day. So yeah. do that. Don't be tempted to prune it too much no. at the moment. No, leave well alone. Because those leaves are actually still feeding the plant and if you take them off, um, it won't be helping the situation. So just leave yeah. things for the mow. If they go brown, then you can cut them off because they will have died. But it should it should eventually recover. Too early to decide what's Die, the problem. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the, the only thing is, back along the stem a little way, you've got little shoots, little tiny leaf shoots, yep. and they look green. They, they are. Look green, you know? So it is settling down. It's obviously just had a complete shock by having its root system disrupted, and that causes the younger, softer tissues to wilt and collapse, which is the top part. But all those dormant buds below will be naturally coming into growth at this time of year anyhow so hopefully those will be healthy even if the top parts do eventually die back a little bit so just a matter of suck it and see wait and see what happens Dot from colchester you're talking about a pyracantha hello ken hello lucy Hi, yes Doc. i had a beautiful pyracantha on the front of the house and all of a sudden over a week ago all the leaves died off i scraped the bark and obviously it's white at the top but at the base of the roots of the tree i've got two long green stems which are shooting out from the bottom now i haven't cut the main tree down i just took the little shoot arms of the shoots off and i wondered if it's going to grow still well it's encouraging that it's throwing up shoots from the base because that it's means true. that they're quite nice about four foot yeah of them are. Yeah, so that is that is a good sign. It already means that the plant is trying to recover. The top yes. growth is obviously dying back, yes. but it's shooting up from the base. So you may find that those um, existing growths that you've got, um, which I'm guessing with an old plant are going to be quite substantial, they may die back. And again, you've just got to wait and see what happens. But the good news is that you've got an insurance policy. You've got those shoots at the bottom. So if the top growth does die, cut it out and the new shoots will take over. They are. That's some good advice from uh, for Dot in Colchester. And go to Sheila from Clacton, Sunny Clacton. What are Morning. you talking about? Pyrrhus? Uh, a Pyrrhus, yep. yes. Uh, it's a bit spindly, but it, it, it's quite old. But I've, it's gone all brown on the, le on the flower part. That's, it's right. gone all brown. And the leaves are going brown. Is it in the pot or is it in the ground? It is in the pot. In a pot, okay. So that could be that the root Tried systems out, have been affected. Like yeah, and like you say, it has been incredibly dry up until the last few days. I so have been watering it. Do you think you've been watering it enough or too much? Because oh, maybe enough, too much. Maybe too much. Yeah, um, Pyrrhus, They can their new growth can go brown if they get frosted, but um, that's normally just the sort of the flowers and the and the, the top soft shoots. Um, so it could be a frost damage, but not 
not likely. It's more likely to be some root damage caused by over or underwatering. Are the leaves? Have you got any new leaves coming? No. Are the um, leaves completely brown or are they no, green? To br- a lot of brown. It's going brown, and there is a few green ones. Right. Yeah. I'd give it a, a, a liquid feed over the top with something like maxi crop as well. That might help it. Yeah, and I'd also be Use tempted if you can one, to yeah. knock it out of the pot and look at the root system. If it's not it in too large bound. a pot, could be pot bound. And any plant that's pot bound is so prone to drying out because all the roots have pushed to the edge of that container and the edges are the first bits that dry out. So you may need to repot it. Okay, Sheila from Clacton, gone to Deborah. In- Deborah, hi Deborah. Hello. Fuchsias we're talking, is that right? Yes, um, it's a hardy fuchsia. Yep. And it's got um, gall mites. Right. Ah, yes. That's a pest and, that's um, only just a, appeared. It's a really big one, and it's not everywhere, but it's on a few of the branches. Cut them off. Yeah, that's Cut all you can off. do. That's really. all you can do. Yeah, and keep monitoring it and see if you get any new attacks. And if you get new galls appearing, then cut it off. That's quite a new pest, isn't it, if you yeah. should mite? And it causes all the growing points to be distorted and blistered and puckered, and it's, it's, it damages flowering and things like that. So it's quite a nuisance. Go, go through the bush carefully and just remove all those stems and then burn them or give, well, give them to the local authority. They don't mind. Yeah? Okay. All right. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. That's Deborah from East London. And we have a text here. Um, I've a seven foot high red robin tree covered in pink blossom. Well, it's a creamy pink. Is this unusual? No. No. And it's, very well. it's, it's extreme this year. Blossom has been fantastic, but that's actually due to a dry winter, isn't it? A lot of it. Yeah. Dry yeah. winters. The poor plants think they're going to die <laughs> and therefore they flower like mad. So how do I prune the flowers off? Well, you actually could prune the plant after flowering, yeah, couldn't you? Yeah, straight after flowering is the time to prune Virginia, and you get a nice flush of new growth straight after flowering. So go in there, cut it back. You can be quite brutal with them, can't you? Mm. I've done that loads of times when they get too big. Don't be afraid. No. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the gardening advice, tips and events, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. Just visit the BBC Essex website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex.